0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
1: I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to season 12 of the Parenting Aces podcast, a proud member of the Tennis Channel podcast network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone. And this week we have with us the head women's coach from Harvard Tennis, Tracy Green. And I am so, so excited about this conversation. I have been wanting to get Tracy on the podcast for quite a while. Finally had the opportunity to meet and chat with her at the USTA National Hard Courts in San Diego this summer, and um, I'm just so grateful for her taking time to join us on the podcast today. If you're not familiar with the Ivy League and tennis specifically in the Ivy League, this is a great episode for you to listen to. It will give you a better understanding of what recruiting looks like, what a typical day is like, and what the financials are like at the Ivy School. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Coach Tracy Green. Tracy Green of Harvard Women's Tennis, we are so thrilled to have you on the podcast. Um just, I'm really excited for this conversation. Thanks so much for taking time out to do this.
2: Thank you for having me, Lisa. Glad to be here.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, we met um, at the National Hard Courts down in San Diego. And I think I told you I've been wanting to interview you for a while. And I think it's always so interesting to get coaches from different types of college tennis programs so that families understand all the different options that are available to them. And certainly having you from Harvard, from an Ivy League school is just such an honor. So I'm looking very forward to this. Thank you. So, to get us started, I am going to ask you the question that I ask all of our guests the first time they come on, which is to give us a little bit of your tennis story. How did you get introduced to the sport and what was your journey like?
2: Sure. So, my parents did not play tennis. Um, they were fans of the all sports. They liked to watch tennis on television, basketball, football, and college sports, especially. My mom was a professor actually a college coach of lacrosse. So, naturally, she would like to you know be around college sports, um, especially with lacrosse, that was her sport. Her name, I never you know saw them you know really playing kids, I probably like once or twice, maybe on vacation. But we were uh, in an all sports youth camp, I was like 10 years old. Uh, one of the sports options was tennis, and that's mixed with like basketball and karate, like some random kind of and I had tennis that summer, and I just loved it. I actually just <laughs> the boys. You know, I realized I was pretty good at doing that, and I was like, "Hey, Dad, to hook me right there," and, and I gave me to keep taking lessons the next summer, the next year, progress from that point to three days a week to five days a week, um, USGA tournaments, and you know the rest
1: of history. So, how did you make that transition from player to coach?
0: Yeah, So I had a pretty cool career at University of Florida. We got to win some national championships. And um I really thought I had some more gas in the tank for pro tennis. I had some injuries. Um, and obviously, uh, you know, tennis was, you know, near and dear to me. I played for that long at super high level. Um, and coaching, I guess, was the next, the next step. I never thought I'd be a coach. Kind of started off with just hitting with people, um, being that hitting partner for juniors, for adults. And then it, it kind of progressed into coaching. Um, And actually, Rodney Harmon, who's currently the coach at Georgia Tech right now, he said, hey, you know what? You should think about uh, getting into coaching and getting your certification and doing X, Y, and Z. And I was like, really? You think so? He said, yeah, we need more women coaches. So he was like the first person who uh, sort of gave me a little nudge and said, hey, you should at least start going down this path. I love that. Rodney's such a good guy. And um, oh, how cool
1: that he was kind of your little nudge into the coaching arena, and he's absolutely right. We need lots more women coaches. So glad you're kind of setting the standard and paving the way there. So you're at Harvard. I mean, it's a pretty high level of tennis in general, a really high level of academics. Um, What's it like coaching these young women who are not only great tennis players, but obviously have very high academic standards for themselves as well.
0: You know what, Lisa? Every day is amazing um, being on Harvard's campus. Um, I'm so grateful for a job that I and you know, I love when I wake up and I, you know, love to do every day being around so many really cool individuals. Um, is the people, and that's that really is true. I mean, you go into one of the dining rooms halls and you hear some really interesting conversations. Um, that's the kind of people we look for um to come on our teams to be a part of our to be a part of our program. And it kind of kind of fit me in a way. I love the fact that we don't we don't have scholarships at later, but um that people actually play because they they want to they they really want to be here for for the sport. Um, and then obviously the academics. Um, so yeah that really drew me into Harvard and um it's kind of kind of what keeps me here at the same time. Yeah,
1: it's interesting because um, I had did a podcast a few weeks ago with Danielle McNamara, and we talked about the importance of good grades and you know how student-athletes need to make sure they're keeping their grades up in order to have as many opportunities as possible to play college tennis. How much weight do you put on a student-athlete's academic performance when you're looking to recruit them?
0: Sure. Um, looking at the recruiting process, it has so many different uh, stages uh, to it. Um, obviously, tennis is super important for us. Um, we are a Division One team. We want to be ranked. We want to go to NCA's and, and do some damage there. So the level of the player is always going to be pretty important, right? Uh, but it is Harvard. So we, we care immensely about grades. We want everyone pushing themselves academically in high school. Um, so we look for people who really are showing that they have quite a bit of a- academic rigor, um, and have, sh- have shown that they have a track record of excelling, um, in their classes. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be always, but hey, you know, we, we, we want to see, um, you pushing yourself and, and, doing what well. um the cool thing about my job I'm not admissions so I get to just kind of you know bring people forward um but I've been doing this for a while and I, I kind of know what what they like to see and uh, I, I hope it works out each year and so far it has yeah that's awesome what type of input do you
1: have and what type of weight does being a tennis player carry? with the admissions office. So, you know, I've heard some chatter lately of, you know, kids are playing tennis and continuing to push through the juniors, even if they don't want to play varsity tennis in college, because they feel like it's going to open the admissions door for them. Is there truth to that?
0: Well, we love players at Harvard, at least for Harvard Women's Tennis, who have a lot of gas in the tank. Yeah, uh, those people who who want to play college tennis, right? Who because they love it, who who want to compete, who want to be on a team. Um, so you know, you know, my job is to find those people, uh, and admissions knows that's also my role uh, in in that in that process. Um, so it, it'd probably be pretty easy to find a bunch of folks who uh, sort of just play for their resume or. Or, or play because their parents tell them to play or something like that. Um, but finding those folks who truly love the game, that's what I go out to do or seek to do You know, every summer, every year. Um, and I like to say, I like to think that uh, our team is, is full of those types of people right now. So when
1: you're at a tournament like National Hardcourts down in San Diego, what is your role there? What is it that you're seeking to accomplish being on site?
0: Honestly, when I go to San Diego for hardcore, so a lot of the time it's really about putting names with faces and faces with names. So you'd be surprised, um, you know, how many videos you get and then how many videos you don't get. Right. So just how many emails you've uh, come across and text messages and a few phone calls. But you really haven't seen that person up close and personal. Um, our staff we like to see people play at least a couple times. Um, before we, you know, have them come on a visit occasionally, it's one time. Right? If it's if they're like, you know, amazing, we just know it's probably going to be a good fit. Um, but seeing people play multiple times is 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 invaluable, right? You see them play when they're playing, you know, well. Maybe when they're down, when they're up. Uh, maybe you see them playing at different stages of their tennis career. Maybe they were, you know, second year 16s, and now you see them. You know, first year 18s and they made a couple of adjustments in their game. Maybe they've grown, gotten stronger, you name it, overcome an injury, you name it. So um I love recruiting. I love getting out on the road, seeing folks. Um, it gets kind of hot some of these locations. I must say, Lisa, some of these locations, <laughs> you're sweating, you're sweating the whole time. But it but it's fun and and I definitely enjoy it.
1: Yeah. And, you you know, I saw you at the table having conversations with players when they were allowed to talk to you after they were their tournament was finished or, you know, whatever the NCAA rules allow at this stage of the game. Um, What are some of those conversations like? What are some of the questions that are coming up? And and is it you asking more of the questions or is it the prospective student athlete asking the questions of you?
0: I'd say it's a combination. When we have those types of meetings, where you're at a you know, some kind of fair or um, symposium of coaches, um, occasionally you get people who haven't met you before and they want to meet you and they have specific questions they want to ask, and that's always great. It's always great when you have someone who's super organized and they know exactly what they want to you know get from you. Um, and then for on our side, sometimes we already you know met the person, and maybe once, maybe twice, and you know that meeting's really about just checking in. How are you? Good to see you. What what time do you play? What are you working on this week? What are your goals for this tournament uh, type of conversation? So it really depends um, on the individual. Um, sometimes people are just seeking out information about your school. You know, are you are there more? Uh, are you looking at more players that are like me right now? Like, what are you looking for? And I think that's super important for players in general um, to not be afraid to ask a coach what they're looking for. Obviously, there's so many tools you can use to try to research. Teams and try to figure that out yourself, but sometimes we're just guessing. Some people, some people sometimes come up to me and say, "Hey, I see that you're looking for a, you know, WTN this number or UTR this number," and I'm like, "What, what makes you? <laughs> what makes you say that?" You know. So I think just get, getting it directly from the horse's mouth is always uh, a, a good uh, good practice. And um, you know, I, there's no shame in the game to ask the coach directly. You know, what are you looking for, or you know, how many players like me are you looking for that are my year, something like that.
1: Mm -hmm. And, I mean, you mentioned WTN, UTR. How much weight do you personally put on these ratings and rankings when you're going through the recruiting process?
0: Sure. Well, it seems like uh, WTN is carrying more and more weight, you know, every week. Um, So probably definitely more with that, uh, definitely for our college players and their rankings and things of that nature. Um, But they're all great tools, right? They're all great tools to help us. know, understand the level of a player and how they're moving week to week. Um, Nothing beats the naked eye. Nothing beats seeing a match in person. Um, Occasionally, you know, I I think sometimes, you know, you can overanalyze with numbers and things like that and get all, you know, get all in your head. Um, And it's funny because you look at some players on our team and some will know way more about ratings and, you know, the younger ones will know way more than, than the older ones. They're like, what is that? I don't know. They're like, it's this, you know, they tell them what it is. Um, So I think, I think it really depends um, on how you use it, but I think they're great tools, um, super useful. um, And it's just really about how you, how you find a way to use it for, for your purpose.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's one of those things that I think people tend to get bogged down in the rating and ranking and forget that you still have to be able to play tennis. <laughs> you still have to be able to compete. You still have to be Amen. able to get along socially. You still have to handle the academic rigor, um, all of those things, right? And and as I tell people all the time, the good coaches know better than to rely solely on one metric. They're looking at a whole host of metrics when making decisions. Exactly. Have have you found since you've been at Harvard that you've been able to create a certain culture and have you seen that culture change at all over your tenure there? Or, you know, did you come in on day one and say, this is the kind of team culture I want to have and I'm committed to making this happen and bringing players in who can support that?
0: Yeah, so that's a that's an interesting one. So I'm I'm one of those uh, coaches. I rely heavily uh, on our players uh, to help determine you know our altitude where we're going to go. Right, each season, um, every season is so different. You know, some years, you know, like a couple of years ago, we had the pandemic. Right? right, so like, how was our culture that year? Right, how was our culture for people who had no season and now they have, you know, season for the first time. So it's like every year, it's like you have different ingredients. Uh, you're using you know, like let's say in the kitchen like as a coach you're like you know you're like a chef in the kitchen and some years you have a stock refrigerator <laughs> like like the you know, like one of these cooking shows you see on cooking channel right? right and some years you have like an apple right and a pear and that's it. What can you make <laughs> what can you make with that? Uh like the pandemic a few years ago um in the Ivy League. But Um, You know, you got to love it. Right. You have to have a strategy. You have to stand for something. Uh, We stand for family, uh, reaching our potential, getting a little bit better every day, having fun. Right. So if you stand close to your core values, you're never going to go wrong Um, right now. Right now, we have a very close knit culture, um, a team that, you know, we care for one another, care about academics, care about sports. We care about competing. Um, The key word is care. So if you're for that as a coach, it really just, you know, Trickles down usually the rest of your staff, the rest of your team, and, and uh hopefully your, your leadership. So whether you have captains or senior leaders or just regular leaders on your team, hopefully that trickles down and, and really emanates off everyone. Yeah, I love
1: that. What's a day in the life look like for a Harvard women's tennis player?
0: Ooh, good question. Good question. Give it give us um, a fall
1: scenario with during tournament yeah. season, which is you're just entering. Versus yes. spring scenario where you know we're playing. Sure. Dual so
0: so so fall scenario. You know we'll have the individual tournaments. So some of our top players will be getting ready for regionals or super regionals or all American. That's what's going on like right now as we speak uh, during this interview. So we're getting folks ready. Um folks, you know, train usually the second half of the uh summer, a little more with more intensity to get ready for the fall season. We've done fitness testing. We're about to ramp up on our fitness. We like to like kind of load up on our fitness in the fall. So we kind of do more and have more injury, injury preventative uh mindset in the spring. Um and yeah, that's basically how the fall goes, really individually, individual individually based. Uh sometimes we'll have what we call hidden dual events. Uh, we have some at home. We're about to go to uh, Notre Dame in a couple of weeks where we'll play another team. And it feels like a dual match, but it really isn't. Um, so you get a chance to compete as an individual, but you, you sort of get the team feel at the same time. So we'll do a few of those. Um, at the very end of the season, we kind of move indoors at Harvard, which is nice. So you get to go to class and, you know, you kind of have more of a set practice time. So you don't have as many, you know, small group practices because we can outside, outside, we can go anytime you want during the day, you know. Yeah. Um, so we have a lot of, a lot of small. All group is, but we kind of will have more set practices, practice times. Once it gets a little cooler in New England, um, then we share our courts with our men's team. Um, and then once we get to January, people go home for the break to January, and it's totally team focused. Um, my favorite time of the the team season is is January. People come back ready to go, ready to get uh, ready to get working. You um, usually try to sprinkle in some some ranked opponents. Uh, we, we sprinkle in uh, what we call ECACs, which is a tournament that we play generally with other Ivy League schools. It's always fun to mix it up and play a three day tournament where you're playing other Ivy School, that's always fun. Um, you hear me say fun a lot because I feel like competing is fun, and we try to make it fun, mentally for our team. So, um, yes, it's going to be a challenge, but we think everything's going to be fun. It's just a way how, how we how we're going to approach it, right? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, then we go on to a spring our spring trip, and then we, after that, we have our Ivy season, which again is more fun. We have a home and away situation in the Ivy League, so every year you either play another school home or you play them away. Um We don't have a tournament, which is pretty, pretty interesting, uh, you know, Ivy League tradition right now. So right now we don't have a tournament. So it's basically your win loss record. So every match counts, uh, which makes and it. That, uh,
1: sorry, but that determines whether or not you get into the end of the year NCAA tournament, correct?
0: Exactly. So the okay. team with the highest with the, with the best uh, results, the best uh, record as the team that wins the conference championship. And there, there can be a tie, you know, because there are eight teams and there there could be a tie. Or there is a tie some years. And teams that's the team that's the highest ranked nationally gets to go to NCAs. And that's um that's happened, you know, a few years. Sometimes it's a three-way tie, right? Um, but that's that's the beauty of the Ivy League. You never know what's going to happen. We have so much parity in the league, which makes it again, makes it very fun.
1: So you mentioned a few minutes ago about the fact that Ivy's don't have athletic scholarships. Other than that, what makes the Ivy League different from other Division One conferences?
0: Honestly, you know, not a ton. I, I can only really speak to you know Harvard specifically. That's that's what I know best. Um, but for Harvard, I mean, budgetarily, I think we 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 like to compete with you know some of the top schools out there as much as we can. You know, we offer. You know everything you can think of to support our our players, um, whether it's you know rackets, stringing, massages, you, you name it. We um, have to come visit and talk to me to know all the details, right? And I can't give it all away right here on this podcast. Um, but but yeah, you know we we try to make things. Um, you know, get people what they need, right? All the tools they need to be successful, um, to be a cohesive team, you know, whether it's mental training, um, whether it's, you know, additional, uh, workouts with a, with a fitness coach. Um, you name it. And I, I think, um, you know, again, I'm grateful to be at a school where we do have a a, a great budget and we have uh, friends that care deeply about our program and alums that care deeply about our program and the direction um, that it's going and that it's gone. Um, and And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I'd say we're very, very competitive with, with top schools. At what
1: point in the recruiting process do you want a, Perspective student-athlete to start talking budget with you? Like, is that something that comes up at the beginning of the process or later on? And what is that conversation at a school that doesn't offer athletic scholarship?
0: It's important to understand that we don't have athletic scholarships in the Ivy League and specifically at Harvard in our conversations it's important to bring it up pretty early because you hate to get all the way down, you know, in conversation and you say, Oh, you don't have any scholarships? Oh, I thought you had scholarships, right? Um, so it's good to bring it up early. Um, sometimes people don't quite understand what that truly means and what the value of an Ivy League education truly is. So I suggest people do their research um and find all the you know amazing talented people who've graduated from the Ivy League. Um, who who are amazing tennis players, who are doing amazing things in their uh, work life, and, and and just in general after they graduate. So, for us, it's a relationship, you know, mm-hmm. that you have while you're in school, and the relationship that you have after you have uh, the after you graduate. Um, and it's, it's it's pretty darn unique. Um, and you, you're part of the you know, super Elite club and some people just like that um but uh you know obviously our our brand is 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 universal and and we, we 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 love that
2: yeah
1: how important is it to you personally to have a mix of American and international players on the team or focus one side or the other um and is that something that you consciously, decide as you're recruiting for a particular
0: class. So someone told me a while ago that tennis in the NCA is the most international sport in the NCA it's not soccer. It's not fencing, you know, it's not, uh, you know, volleyball, it's tennis. So we are the most, in Division One. we are the most international sport. So I don't think we can stop, you know, the international, uh, you know, uh, players, you know, coming to play and, and getting scholarships and, and taking, quote, unquote, spots, and, you know, in the States and, and, and you know, U.S. schools. Um, however, you know, I, I think it, it is important to have some kind of a balance on, on most teams, you um, some teams they can right specifically yeah. at Harvard we, we we have a few folks from from other countries right now I think we have about three we've got like Canada Lithuania and I think uh, England something like that and we have like I think twelve players on our team so um, not so many um, you know every year is a different year um, I don't think I go out you know seeking someone from this country or that country it's really how how recruiting shakes out. Um, I think we just committed someone recently from another country. I can't say their name because that's against NCA rules. But um, but every year is so different. And I love diversity on our team. You know, diversity of you know you know where you know geographic diversity, where you're from, and um, you know I think it's super important to have different game styles, people who are have different vibes on your team. I think that's makes, that, that makes that makes a team special and, and interesting and unique.
1: I agree with you. And I, you know, people that have been listening to this podcast a while know that I've kind of changed my tune around all this. Um, once my son went to college and met his best friend slash roommate slash teammate, who's from New Zealand, who he now lives with in Auckland. <laughs> so um, you know, I it made me understand even more the value of having a diverse population on the team because college is a time you're supposed to learn about other cultures and other people and other ways of life. And it's supposedly a time where you start questioning who you are and and who you want to be um, post-college and and so I think it's super valuable but I you know I also understand the concern from some people that feel like you know when you look at a roster that there's not a single american player that's can be problematic from another you know another angle but um yeah I think it's it's really cool that diversity is is part of your mission and your recruiting process and helping all of these young women learn about people from different cultures, different backgrounds, whether it's different countries or not, we're all, we all come with our own story. So very cool that, that you provide a space for them to share and learn from each other. I love that. I love that. Um, So I want to ask you also about this whole idea of being at an Ivy and the academic rigor of being at an Ivy and how your student-athletes balance their academic pursuits with their athletic pursuits, are there certain majors that are just no goes if they want to play college athletics, right. specifically tennis? Or um, have you found that you've had players that are were able to pursue all different types of majors?
0: That's a great question, uh, you know, balancing high-level tennis, right, uh, high-level D1 tennis with academics is probably a balancing act at any school these days, right, and depending yeah. on how the, the tennis tennis shakes out, um, but that's where, that's where my job comes in, I, I think, uh, where, you know, I've been doing this, you know, for a few years now, a little over 15 years, and um, I, I, I truly do believe I know what it takes to be successful um, at a school like Harvard. And I try to, you know, try to find people who fit that, who fit that, you know, uh, background, right? Fit that profile. And you know, once we find them or think we find them, we dig a little deeper just to make sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you never know, right? But you, you dig a little deeper um, just to make sure. And you, you have a lot of phone calls, you know, you have visits, um, you have conversations. Um, you talk to people who know uh, the recruits um, just to really make sure that's the right fit, because you do have to push yourself at the junior level, you know, at the at the high school level. You have to be pushing yourself academically, pushing yourself in the tennis at the same time. So if you're doing both at the same time, you're going to come to college and do both at the same time. So you can't just do one just tennis and, you know, medium school or just medium tennis and the school and just expect to come uh, to a school like Harvard and really excel um so in our team we we do excel you know we had over a 3.8 gpa last year and same thing the year before um so you know and that comes from um you know them already knowing how to do that and learning you know during their freshman year how to get used to the you know time management uh uh you know you know vibe and i think that's true any at any school your freshman sure. year your first year uh you know getting used to time you know managing your own time being away from mom and dad and um just figuring out you know the 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 rhythm of, of the school and how things flow but that's the biggest thing I, I i feel like we do bring those folks who are already quote unquote qualified and admissions uh, wouldn't admit you at uh, in, in, in my school, you know, w- unless you were qualified. So that for, for me, in, in some respects, take some of the heavy lifting, you know, um, out of my hands, right? If the yeah. person is not qualified, they probably won't get in. And um, it doesn't happen very often because typically we try to get those kids who are probably, probably going to get in. Gotcha. But uh, in
1: terms of majoring once they are on campus, are there... I mean, we've heard stories where at certain schools you you can't pursue pre-med, you can't pursue, you know, courses that require lab time because of the practice schedule, because of the match schedule and all of that. Is that the case at Harvard as well?
0: Yeah, you, you know what? So um, so we our fall and our spring are pretty different seasons. So if we have a, a player on our team who wants to do something that's a little bit more time sensitive, I call it. Um, let's say a constant we call it majors concentrations at Harvard, something like mm-hmm. computer science, right, which is like a hot, you know, a hot uh, topic, hot concentration these days. Um, you know, I suggest that they, they take you know tougher, more time intensive classes in the fall
2: mm-hmm. because
0: the fall after the fall matters, right? And in the minute, I think we'll have NCAs in the fall, so who knows it's going yeah. all be turned around. Uh, next year. But um general they'll take their harder classes in the fall. And they're they're right, they're right on track to do everything they need to do um in the in the spring. And we we definitely encourage folks to to take what they're interested in. There's we don't have any restrictions on majors or concentrations at Harvard or on my team. So if someone wants to do pre-med or you know uh, government or what schools we don't have like Pre-med, actually, you mm-hmm. um, can take courses that get you ready for um, for medical school. But um, but yeah, we don't we don't have any restrictions it's really about you doing what you're interested in. And our our uh, generally our upperclassmen, our older players will sort of guide people in the right direction and say, hey, I know you want to take this class, but just know you have a lot of reading in that class and you have this class. That's a lot of homework, you know, during the season. Don't you want to like have at least one class where you're, they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, you're right. And so, so just balancing is the key um, at our program, at our school, really just balancing. So it's, it, if you're doing the work and you're putting the time in, you're going to be okay. But just having a good balance that you're not super stressed out or um, not having balance in your life, because we do need to have, you know, a social life. We do need to have, um, you know, make time for our you know our friends, our family, and and everything that counts,
1: yeah. um, getting back to the recruiting process, what is the role in your opinion of the parents during the recruiting process?
0: I think parents are super important. I mean, you know, someone told me once that, uh, you know, I I I meet people for two years or one year and now they're on my team. And the, the parents have known these people and raised these people for, for 16, 17 years. Right. So they're super influential and you need them on your team. You have to understand them um, and be really honestly be teammates with them uh, to a certain degree. Um, you know, we're all in it together. Um, you know, I don't I don't love you know, when parents get too involved, right? Yeah, yeah. I think you have to kind of separate a little bit um, from your child. That's part of the maturation process, you know, letting go a little bit that's easier from, for some parents uh, than others. Uh, I'm not going to name any names, but but uh, that's, that's a part of my job, too, is to help them, help them separate, mm-hmm. you know, that they know that they're coming to a place where the coach cares about them and Cares about their well being. Care about the, I care about the tennis, but care about the whole person, right? I think that's super important for them to know, um, and and know that they can you know come to to me with with anything, right? And I'm gonna do my best to to be there for them and help them in any way I can. And our staff you know feels the same way. So um, knowing that they have like that line of defense there during this. You know, process. I think that's that's the key. Uh, but again, it's easy easier for uh, some folks uh, than others. Easier, you know, said than done. Also, um, uh, but yes, their parents are crucial. Uh, we love them coming to our matches, being supportive, and and just that. You know, being supportive is is what we need. When you're
1: meeting with recruits, though, let's say like at San Diego, um, are you also talking to the parents there, or do you really want? to have the recruit, you know, lead the conversation and, and focus on, on just the recruit.
0: Sure. It's also, it's always great to uh, have the parents there and get to know them. Um, At the same time, we really do need to get to know the player, the player who's coming to your program. Um, They are related because they're from the same family. Um, They are, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, if, if it's Amy Johnson coming, it's her whole family that's coming to Harvard, usually, right? And they feel like, all right, we're we're coming to Harvard too. But you got to get to know Amy, the recruit. Um, this fictional character I just made up is no Amy. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, how is Amy? Like, how does Amy think? You know, how, how I gotta get inside Amy's head and figure out what Amy wants. And sometimes it's hard hard to do right there if they're answering all the questions. So occasionally we do so. Right. So we get to have Amy, you know, by herself. Um, if I've already spent a quality, you know, a good amount of time with with Amy, maybe I do want the parents there. Maybe we have a Zoom. Maybe we have them at the at the um, at a meeting, at a tournament or something like that. So we all can be on the same page because we do need to be on the same page. Right. Yeah. I mean, Amy does have parents who are probably paying something, you know, or, you know, helping with her organization and just. Um, uh, just, just helping her get where she needs to go and achieve her right. goals. So Amy needs to recognize that as well. Um, but yeah, I think they're a huge part of the huge part of the equation. It just, we do, we do like to hear the, 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 the player's voice as much as possible, um, in, in the process. Yeah. Love that. Love that.
1: How far in advance do you recruit? There's so much speculation, you know, among the parents chit-chatting at tournaments and stuff. Oh, you know, if if a coach hasn't tapped you by the time you're in eighth grade, you know, you have no hope in going to that school. Is that
0: true? Honestly, you know, I, I feel like sometimes I feel like I'm in a bubble in the Ivy League, you know, occasionally. So we just start when NCAA allows us. Um, you know, and that's, you know, um, what is it, you know, June, July, whatever the date is, right. We can, we can reach out and talk to people. That's when we start. Um, you know, again, I, I love it because it's kind of like a, uh, turning a whole new chapter, um, on, on people going into their junior year. Um, and we're, we're not in a super rush generally at Harvard because it is a process of understanding the people getting to know people. Um, now occasionally there are people you've seen play before they get to be a rising junior. So you've heard about them, you've seen them maybe a little more in the phenom category. Um, but those conversations don't get don't take place until um you know until you're allowed. So there's an anticipation aspect, um, which I love. And um, you know, and you, you just never know. You never know who's out there. And now with international tennis, you know, that makes the it makes the you know recruiting pool even wider.
1: Right. And just a reminder to everybody the coaches can't reach out to the player until the summer before junior year, but the players can reach out to the coaches anytime. So, um, you know, if, if you're interested in a particular program or a particular coach, there's no harm in sending emails and making that introduction, even though they can't engage with you until after your junior year. So, um, just a reminder for that. Um, don't wait until the last minute. Um, What else do we need to know about Harvard Tennis and and recruiting at the Ivy League? Anything I've left
0: out? I mean, we're looking for people from all walks of life, not just Americans, international, you know, all over, you name it, no specific part of the country. um, And do reach out, like you said, you know, sometimes we miss people at tournaments. Um, I do use WTN. I will look at all, all the tools Um, however, you know, we're only, you know, two or three people on staff, so we might miss some folks. So do reach out, do send an email, uh, do send updates on how you're doing at tournaments and your progress. And just because you don't hear back right away, doesn't mean we don't read the, read the emails or read the correspondence. Um, I think it's super important to keep coaches updated because then that kind of puts the ball in their court uh, for the next move. Um, and once you do have that, uh, you know, time to communicate with the coach, or the opportunity to communicate with the coach. Ask the right questions. Be ready to go. Be 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 buttoned up. Uh, be ready to ask the right questions so you can get um, the information you need to make the right choice for the rest of the process.
1: Can you tell if a prospective student athlete has done their research on Harvard and on you as a coach and on your team? I mean, and is and how important is that to you that, when you're recruiting?
0: generally I, I feel we can tell when people have done research um I feel like we have a pretty st- solid history tennis wise yeah. uh via our results they can tell that we've you know we're a pretty solid program so I think folks who are just starting out tennis if they choose an email you know we, we know right away probably you know have not done a lot of research you know oh, I've been playing for one year I'm really interested and in, you're interested in your process like okay well hmm, this might not be for you uh but you know, then you have folks who who really you know do their research and they're they're mentioning stuff about our matches and um, just all, all all types of facts and you know I would find interesting. Um, so you you really can find the difference, uh, but the key thing is just really putting yourself out there and uh, presenting the coach with the best uh, parts about you as the recruit.
1: Yeah, yeah. You also mentioned that once the indoor season starts up in the Northeast that y'all are sharing the indoor facility with the men's team, how much interaction is there between the men's and the women's team at Harvard? Cause I know in a lot of schools, the teams are completely separate. They rarely travel together. You know, they really don't have much interaction and then other programs, there's tons of overlap and they're out supporting each other at their own, you know, their matches and um, yeah. Yes. So how, what's the culture like at Harvard?
0: Sure. So our our teams are super close. You know, we have a lot of, we share a lot of the same facilities and, you know, my Zoom background is our indoor courts. We have six uh, beautiful indoor courts there behind me. Um, Some mornings we split the courts three and three and we'll have individual work going on. Um, That's pretty typical on, you know, Two or three, you know, mornings a week, afternoons we put times. We have a couple. We have like a slot for the men and we have a slot for the women in the afternoon. So we're used to sharing Um, outdoor courts. Right now we have eighteen, so sharing is a little bit easier. We're outside. Uh, We're very fortunate for for that. Um, uh, Yeah, and and coming to matches. I mean, the men's matches are. I mean, I I just I still can't get over how loud our Harvard men's matches are. I mean, you have people. You know, cheering, you know, their butts off, you know, the from start to finish um, women's side, they come support us. We support them. Um, Our seasons are just, you know, just so uh, exciting, both of them, right? We're we're both chasing different things, different parts of the season, um, you know, sharing the ups and downs. And uh, the students are are truly friends, right? Some of them are in the same classes. So it's pretty hard not to support each other when you're in the same classes and you're sharing the same facilities and you're seeing them pretty much every day. So very grateful for um, having, you know, two close teams. Yeah, love that.
1: Anything I've forgotten to ask you, we're we're coming toward the end of our hour and I want to make sure I give you the platform to, you know, share the Harvard gospel with us.
0: Honestly, you know, I I do. I do uh, encourage folks to really uh, give the Ivy League a chance, give the Ivy League a shot. Uh, We don't have scholarships, but, you know, we generally um, have an amazing experience that's worth so much more. Um, I can speak for Harvard, um, you know, just an amazing experience. And it's, you know, you can't, you can't go wrong being at one of the best schools in the world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And even though there aren't athletic scholarships, there is other financial support available. Um, And I know, you know, the Harvard Bursar's Office, or I think it's the Bursar's Office is where you would go to find out what other financial support is available, loans, um, scholarships, work study, there's always ways to fund your education, even when there's not a tennis scholarship on the table.
0: Yes. Uh, financial aid is abundant here. So we suggest people who think they need aid because we are a need-based, uh, you know, school program, you know, come and, and, and figure out what you need. You know, have your parents, you know, uh, use the financial aid calculator, um, see what comes up. It's not always a hard, hard number, but um, they work with you. and again, you know, this experience is is like no other. And I'm not saying that just because I work at Harvard, um, I am biased because I would do work at Harvard. but uh, but it's an amazing experience. and um you know, it's like no other.
1: Yeah, Love it. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. If it's okay with you, I'm going to share your contact info in the show notes on parentingaces.com. So for any of you watching, if if you have questions for Tracy about the Harvard Women's Tennis Program, please do reach out to her. She's incredibly responsive, even though she's one of the busiest people I've ever come across. Um, but uh, I, I just, I want everyone to... Feel like an Ivy education, an Ivy tennis experience is out there and is available if that's something that you want. And don't write it off just because they don't have athletic scholarships or don't write it off just because you don't have a 4.5 GPA. You may still be a great fit, right?
0: Amen. Yes, it's it's an amazing experience. You know, you get to play people in this region, you don't have flying all over the, you know, you're you're, you're staying right here meeting amazing people. You have experience of your life. So uh, I definitely encourage it. So, you know, work hard in school. That's the first step. Work hard in school and on the court and be a good person. And then you're you're one step, you know, you know, one step in the right direction to, to come into a school like Harvard. Perfect.
1: Perfect. To my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast for tennis parents by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community just the